right. Well, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Oh, hello. Hot mic, hot mic. Are we good? Okay. So glad you're here. My name is James. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills South County. And last week was a lot of fun. We did have it at the harbor, and we were going to be there again for Christmas. So I hope you enjoyed it, because we will be back there for Christmas Eve. That'll be a 3 o'clock service time. And it'll be cool because the harbor will be decorated in all kinds of cool Christmas, uh, uh, you know, lights and everything like that. It'll be really cool. Then the following Sunday, we're going to be there again, and we may be there some more. Uh, We'll let you know and give you some more updates. But uh, it was really, really cool because it gave us an idea of what Christmas is going to be like. Now, there are two types of people in this world. There are types of people that right after Halloween is over, they start listening to Christmas music. And then there are other types of people that, that, that wait till after Thanksgiving. Now, raise your hand if you listen to Christmas music right after Halloween. Thank you. Thank you, Kay. Thank you, D. Okay. There's just three of us, I think. How about you wait until after Thanksgiving? Boo. No. Come on. No. When they come out with Thanksgiving songs, then we'll maybe think about this. But no. This is awesome. We want to listen to Christmas music now. It puts us in a really good mood. We're excited about it. Uh, And I, I can't wait because for me, I'm going to admit it right now, you guys. I love Hallmark Christmas movies. I do. They're the best, right? Come on. The guys are looking at me like, turn in your dude card. You're already dressed super loud for me today. But like, uh, no, but I love the Hallmark. Because it's like, like, well, does she like him? Does he like her? Do they like each other? And then they fall in love and they get a puppy and it's awesome and I love it. So it's great. Now we are starting a new series today. And it dawned on me as I was preparing for this message that this is a new church. So we have not been here uh, that long. We've only started basically in March. And so we have not had time, for some of you, have not had the pleasure of hearing the greatest high school football story of all time. So I thought I would enlighten you this morning. Melanie looks like she's going to get sick. It's okay. With the greatest football story of all time. (laughs) Vic is like, no, please don't do this again. Now, have you ever heard this story before? Yeah. No, you haven't. I'm telling you again. So, picture it. It's a fall, crisp morning. And I, truth be told, this is before social media, so I literally just joined the football team to get a football picture so I could hand to girls, and that was really it. I didn't didn't plan on playing ever. Uh, So I went for a receiver, and they said, well, no, we're not going to use you as a receiver, but we need a backup quarterback, so why don't you do that? I was like, great. So I, uh, I'm ready to play, and t- this, is, this is what happened. So the game's going on, and I'm literally not even paying attention to the game. I think I was talking to a cheerleader or something, and all of a sudden they go, Valencia, you're in. And I was like, excuse me, I'm sorry, what was that? You're in, you're in the game, let's go. And I'm, not, I'm looking for a helmet, I don't know where mine is, and so they give me one, and I'm, kind of, I'm like, I'm getting nervous, I'm going out, and, and, and I don't know the plays because I never studied it at all. So I, I, I go back, and I go to pass, and they'll go, it's a run play! And the running back already went, and I turned around, and I got tackled, sat, just for a big loss. And those guys just jumped on me, it was tough. And then that's when the greatest play in the history of Whittier Christian football happened. I get up. And I'm sore, and I'm beat, and I hike the ball, and I go to hand it off, but he runs past me to block, and I hear everybody going, James, James, James. Actually, there was like freshman football, there was like 10 dads, and I didn't hear that at all, but that was my head, it was like, James. So I'm running in, and they're running, and I'm coming in, and I just start going. It's a broken play, and I'm running, and I'm running, and I see the guy coming at me, and I'm coming at him, and I lower my head, like, okay, come on, let's do this, and then... 
I go, okay, no, that's going to hurt. So I start running this way <laughs> to avoid him. And, and, I, and I go out of bounds, and everybody is cheering. And they said, yes, good job. And I was like, yes, what happened? And they go, you got a first down. And I was like, yes. The quarterback was ready to go back in, and I was done. At the end of the game, uh, where everybody's kind of hurting and tired and out of it, and the coach uh, is giving away game balls. Now, it is freshman football, so you have to give the ball back. But he was saying, okay, we had a little quarterback out here, and he scampered for a first down. Let's hear it for Jason Valencia. Jason, come on out. I'm like, that's not my name, but I don't care, coach, because I did it. I got a first down, and I'm so excited. And I was part of the team, and I saw guys hurting, and they were, they were beat up. But nobody wanted to let on that they were hurting because football is a rugged man sport. It's, a, it's, a, it's Americans love football. It's our favorite sport. We love it. We, we, we give everything we can to it. We, we're, 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 we don't, we don't want to let anybody know that we're hurting or we're in pain because we want to push through. Jack Youngblood, a part of the greatest football franchise in history, the Los Angeles Rams, plays with a broken, played with a broken leg. Played with a broken leg. Ronnie Lott of the despised San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> but he did play for USC, so that's okay. His finger was hurting, but to go back in the game, to not lose time, he said, cut it off. So he cut part of his finger off to play in the second half. And Americans love this. We love that. We root for it. We cheer for it. We're like, yes, we're Americans. We're awesome. Yes, that's what we do. But unfortunately, we tend to do that with our emotions as well. We kind of just, just suck it up because we got to win at all costs, no matter what. This is our cultural philosophy. Weak people indulge their feelings. Strong people ignore their feelings and get stuff done. Because our highest value is to achieve at all costs. That's what we, that's what we learn. That's what we, that's what we preach. We hear buzzwords like you're killing it, you're crushing it, you're dominating, you're winning, and we like it, and it's addicting, and we want always to win. We don't want the feeling of losing. We hate that feeling. We only want to win. We want that feeling, and we want to fool you into thinking that we are always winning because we don't want you to know that we're losing or we're hurting or we're depressed or we're in pain. We don't want you to know that because then you might think we're weak. So we just push it down, but at the end of the day, it's got to go somewhere. You know, when Melanie and I first knew that we were going to be having uh, uh, kids, a lot of people uh, came up to us and said, we'll be praying for you. And we thought, well, that's really cool. They're praying for us for healthy children. That's awesome. And, they, and we had a couple people say, no, we're not praying for you just uh, for healthy children. We're praying for you because I don't think you understand how hard it is to raise kids in South Orange County. It's very hard. And I didn't really understand what that meant per se. I was just like, okay, you know, uh, I'm sure like anywhere else it's hard. But it's different here. Because the pressures are different. Because, you know, a lot of times when, when, you know, when they start off in kindergarten or first grade, if we have any teachers that are teaching little ones, you might have heard this. How come my kid's not in the advanced reading course? It's kindergarten. My kid should be in the advanced reading course. I, I heard him reading, you know, uh, yesterday, and he was great. He should be in the advanced math class. Why aren't they in the advanced class? This is going to go on the record, isn't it? It's kindergarten. Or how about sports? This is out of control. Seriously. Listen, sports are great. I love sports. I'm a huge sports fan. If you know me, I love the Lakers and the Trojans and the Rams and the Dodgers. Um, but they're actually killing a lot of these kids right now. They're destroying their confidence. 
Sports are supposed to be fun. When I was a kid, I'm going to date myself, but when I was a kid, Little League was fun. We got to play, and we got to pretend we were big leaguers, and we went to Pizza Hut afterwards, and it was cool. Here, it's like a whole other thing that, like, you have to win. You have to succeed. You know, I've heard parents literally yelling at their kids going, that club soccer is costing me thousands of dollars. You better play better. Do you know what kind of pressure that is for a kid? Or maybe they're, they're, they're hurting or they're tired. You know, you're going to have to wrap that leg up. you got to get out there. Because if you don't start now, they're going to start another kid, and then you're not going to play. Is that what you want? Okay, i got to just stuff it down. I've got to just stuff it down. And it's really hard. Listen, again, I love sports. And if your kids are in sports, that's great. And if they're having fun, great. But there's a cost to this if it's more about winning at all costs. That's where it becomes a problem. It's okay to lose. It's okay your team didn't win. Learn how to, I'm not making any of this stuff up. Um, These are actual stats that are startling, and I want to read them off to you because I I imagine you're going to be as startled as I am. Four to six percent of men and 10 to 13 percent of women in the U.S. develop PTSD in their lifetime. It's post-traumatic stress syndrome. Twenty-five percent of adults in the U.S. currently have a mental illness. Fifty percent will develop one within their lifetime. Mental illnesses account for more disability than any other illness, including cancer or heart disease. 30% of American adults suffer from anxiety disorder. Those with anxiety disorders are five times as likely to see a doctor and six times as likely to be hospitalized, largely seeking relief for physical symptoms brought on by emotional distress, heart palpitations, headaches, stomach problems, sleep problems. Substance abuse as a coping mechanism is also on the rise. Since 2000, emergency rooms visits related to binge drinking have increased by 50%. Americans constitute, and I want you to pay attention, close attention to this. Americans constitute 4% of the world's population. You got that in your head? 4% of the world's population, Americans. But also consume 75% of its prescriptions. 4% of the population, 75% of its prescriptions. One in five adults in the U.S. are taking drugs for a psychiatric problem. Drug overdoses are now the leading cause of death for Americans under 50, with opioids causing two-thirds of them. And in 2017, they killed more people than AIDS. Now, I I, I appreciate churches that are getting behind the AIDS issue. I think that's great, and I am for that. I think we should be caring about people with AIDS, absolutely. But this is killing more people than AIDS right now. This is something we should look at. Suicides in the U.S. increased by one-third between 1999 and 2017. And in 2017, 90% of Americans ages 15 to 21 reported struggling to cope with severe stress-related physical and emotional problems brought on by excessive anxiety. Yet despite our willingness to admit are unhealthy stress levels, most Americans claim they're unable to practice healthier behaviors because they're too busy to get better. Why? Again, we're programmed to shake it off, to get over it, but we're just getting better at faking it. Now, this is important. I want you to write this down. Um, depression and anxiety are different, but they actually do go hand in hand, and I want, to, I want you to know this. In short, anxiety can't help but care too much about everything, but depression is an inability to care much about anything. So they're similar, but they're very different as well. There's nothing more infuriating with somebody with depression when you just say, just cheer up. If you ever know somebody with depression, go, just cheer up, just shake it off. That's like telling somebody with two broken legs, just go for a jog, you'll feel much better. 
It's, 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 it's infuriating, and so we have to learn how to, how do we deal with this? What does it look like? Now, <clears throat> you may have know, noticed this, but if you've ever met with me, if I've ever counseled you, uh, I always start off with tell me your story. And there's a reason for this, and I'm going to give you, this is from my counseling experience and my counseling courses, but I'm also going to give this to you because I think this is something that you should know as well. So when somebody is coming to you with depression or anxiety, say, tell me your story. Asking questions like this, what happened to you? How did you get to this place? What are you carrying around? What are you most afraid of? Where, do you, where is it you feel disconnected? And why is it you feel lost? And then let them talk. Don't talk over them. Just let them talk. Let them air it out. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, is that the solution? You're just asking these questions and they're going to be fine. No, but it's a terrific place to start. It's where you want to start with this. It's not, it's not going to cure everything, but it is a good place to start. So what do we do? What do we do? <clears throat> I'm going to give you a really good place to, to start here, too. Depression and anxiety levels equals biology plus experiences plus habits. Depression and anxiety levels equal biology plus experiences plus habits. And we're going to take a look at each one of these so you can understand what I'm saying. Number one is biology. Genes are a factor. You're born with a biological framework that is not equal to everyone else's. The same way we don't all have the same risk for, or tendency for heart disease, diabetes, or breast cancer, we don't all have the same risk or tendency for mental illness or emotional disorders. Does that make sense? So some of you may be more prone to diabetes because of your family history. Some of you may be prone to breast cancer because of your family history. But also some of you may be more prone to mental illness because of family history. It's biological. And we see this has always been true ever since the world started, really. And we're talking about the life of Paul. Paul, the one that started what the church looks like. Paul, the one that took uh, the church away just from uh, the Jewish people all the way to the Gentiles. Paul, the one that really started our, our modern-day church. Paul, the one that we use as an example as what it looks like to do missions and church planning. And Yes, that Paul. He had some issues as well, and we're going to talk about that. 2 Corinthians 12, 6-9 says this. Even if I should choose to boast, boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. And he's right. He did some amazing, amazing things. Thousand years later, we're still talking about it. So if, even if I choose to, to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these uh, sur surpassingly, great surpassingly great revelations. Say that four times in a row. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more uh, gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. So what he's saying is, I've done a lot of stuff, yes, but I still have this thing that I can't get rid of, and I don't know why, and I hate it. But you know what? In my weakness, God is strong. Theologians have actually debated this for a long time, uh, many years, thousand years they've been talking about this. And most theologians will come to the conclusion that Paul did suffer from a biological kind of a mood disorder, meaning uh, he's done all these things, but he never felt it was good enough. Like, I, I'm doing all of this, but it's not, I should be more, and I should be starting more churches, and I should be doing more, and I, sh I should be feeding into more. And there was this thing that he was not doing enough that he could be doing. And a lot of theologians do concur that he did have some sort of a mood uh, disorder. 
Now, you might be thinking this at church. Maybe you've come to church and you saw somebody driving into church and their family looks perfect and their kids look perfect and their, their spouse looks perfect and their car is super nice and, and you're thinking, wow, they really have it well. They, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on and they, they look like they've got their life figured out. Man, if people knew what I was going through, they, they'd probably be shocked because maybe I should be doing more. Maybe I should be driving their car. Maybe I should live in that house or in that neighborhood. And they're just, maybe, maybe I'm not doing good enough. Now, I like the language that he's using here because what Paul is saying is that in the New Testament, the mindset was Satan was the tempter, accuser, torment, tormentor, and liar. So this is the language he's using. But this is what depression does. It's like a tumor that attacks the brain with negative thoughts. Think of it this way. It's like a tumor that's constantly attacking your brain with negative thoughts. Thoughts that you don't want and often feel as if you can't control. So it's no wonder Paul is praying many times, God, take it away. Maybe some of you right now are saying, I am so tired of praying to take this thing away when I keep doing the same stupid sin and it drives me crazy. I keep doing the same mistake over and over. And if I were God, I wouldn't forgive me anymore because I'm tired of praying for the same thing and, and God's probably mad at me right now. I don't want to talk to him about it. I don't even want to think about God right now because he's probably sick of me messing up this exact way again. So I don't want to tell anybody. So I'm going to get really good at faking it and pretending that I don't have anything going on. So what am I going to do? I'm going to help you with your problems. I don't want to look at my problems. I'd rather help you fix your problems. That will make me feel better. But I don't want to look at my stuff. So I'm going to be phony and I'm going to hide it. It's not what we want. Number two is experience. It's important to remember that depression isn't always, like a, isn't always a clinical issue in the brain. It's not always a clinical issue in the brain. Depression is also a normal response to abnormal life experiences. So we see this again in Paul's life, 2 Corinthians 8, 1, uh, 8, 1 8 through 9. We do, we do not want to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So here's something you might want to take a picture or write down. Trauma is a stressful experience in which we feel powerless, helpless, or lacking control. And part of our problem understanding anxiety and depression is we tend to want to rank trauma and compare it to something else that happened to someone else to decide if it's worth feeling bad about. This is something that I see a lot in, in, in many of you that I meet with, and, and, and I really want to encourage you to, to not do this. But a lot of times when I'll meet with you, you'll say, listen, pastor, I've got, I, I need you to pray about something, but you know what? It's not that big of a deal. I, I, I'm struggling with this thing, but you know what? Compared to other people in the world that are dying, it's not that big of a deal. My marriage is kind of on rocks right now, but you know what? Uh, at least I have my health right now, so it's not that big of a deal. So you, you decided to rank your trauma. But what you're doing is you're being phony and you're putting it deeper inside and saying, it's, it's really not a problem. I mean, if you want to pray for this, you can. But I know other people have it worse. We do this with God and we do this with each other. We like rank the trauma and we don't acknowledge what the problem is. We're trying to pretend it's not that bad. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're just getting better at putting it down and saying, it's not so bad. Don't do that. You, you, sometimes we think, well, well, maybe it's lacking faith that I have this major issue, and so I don't want them to think that, that you know, I don't think God can take this. So if you, have, if you have time, you know, can you just pray for this? This is a big deal. 
I know some prayer warriors that don't mess around with this, by the way. If you say, I've got a little bit of an issue, they'll pull you right to the side and say, let's pray right now. I'm looking at Jose. I was like, man, if you've got a problem, you talk to Jose, say, grab your hand right there and go, we're, we're going to go pray right now. We're not going to just mess with this. Because he understands that. You've got to make sure, let's not take this lightly. You know, you say things like, I'm sure you've heard worse. But the reality is, I do have a good life. This is the probably not big of a deal. And you push it down, but it's got to go somewhere. Just because your intellect decides something's not worthy of being labeled traumatic doesn't mean your body agrees. Trauma is stored in our lower reptilian brain. It sub it's subconsciously marks moments where we felt unsafe, powerless, or helpless. And, and alerts us anytime anything resembling that is near, triggering flight, fight, or freeze. So here's what I'm saying. When you push it down and you say it's not that big of a deal, it's still in there. So when something happens that triggers it, you're going to now just, you know, you're gonna, I, I got to get out of here. I got to move on. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm paralyzed with it because it's still in there. Just because you're acting like it's not bothering you, it's still in there. And you've got to address it. You've got to be honest about it. If we don't acknowledge the underlying source, we end up just addressing surface issues, allowing the real problem to fester. Now, this is, again, this is why a diagnosis could be a double-edged sword, because you're like, well, uh, I suffer from anxiety, so there's not really much I could do, so I'm just going to have to live with this. But there is things that we can do. Again, if we look at the life of Paul, he's got these first two components of anxiety and depression stacked against him, so why isn't it the end of them? He suffers from it, but it doesn't destroy him. It doesn't fully control him. It doesn't get the last word. Why? Why doesn't this destroy Paul? Because of Habits. Habits. Depression and anxiety are very real matter of brain chemistry. And yes, many times it can require medication like any other organ. But you can also change your brain chemistry by what you think and do consistently. Now maybe you've been on meds for a lot of years and you're still noticing that there's still some issues there and you're not sure why. Or you're trying to balance the right meds out or whatever. I'm not here, I'm not a physician, I'm not here to prescribe or tell you anything about medication. Trust me. But my, what I'm saying about habits is I could take a diet pill that would suppress my hunger and make me not eat as much. And I would lose weight. But that doesn't mean my heart is getting healthier. Because my habits haven't changed. Hang out on the couch and have diet pills. So my heart's not getting stronger. Because my habits haven't changed. So what he's saying is, change your habits. Uh, Philippians uh, 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. Think about those things. He's getting in the habit of that because the liar is telling him something else. So whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying this from personal experience. And we often think, is this, we often think, uh, read this and think, is this just think differently? But contextually, what Paul is asking them to do is copy the habits that formed his thinking. Now, the scientific term for this is neuroplasticity. <clears throat> neuroplasticity. Your brain continually restructures itself contingent on experiences. Okay? So it changes to meet the needs, pruning unused synapses and growing the ones you do have. Well, what's a synapsis? Synapsis is a small gap at the end of a neuron that allows a signal to pass from one neuron to the next. 
Synapses are found when nerve cells connect with other nerve cells. Synapses are key to the brain's function, especially when it comes to memory. So if you're not using it, thank you very much, if you're not using it, it's going to fade away. But if you are using it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to grow because they're pruning off. So whatever it is you're focusing on, that's going to be growing. Now, <clears throat> the research uh, is now is telling us that the cause of depression and anxiety is some form of disconnection, a sense that we have been cut off or lost something along the way. If you want to change how you feel, you're going to have to change some things that you do, that you do. Now listen, some of you are maybe here and you're thinking, look, I thought I was coming to church and you're talking about neurons and synopsis and neuroplasticity and chemistry in the brain and bi biology. I'm not here to take a biology course. I'm here to go to church. Should we even be talking about this? Learning how your mind works enables you to change it gradually, intentionally, and healthily. Listen, before I came to church today, uh, I was having breakfast, and I was watching TV, and the pastor there was cool, man. He was talking about some really neat things. You know, if you want the nicer car, ask God for it. He's going to give you a nice car. And if you want a nicer house, ask God for it. He's going to give you a nice house. And if you want to go to that college, ask God. He'll give you that college. And I'm thinking, yes, I like this guy. I, I feel good. He's making me feel great. I could have anything I want. This is awesome. This is great. He says, you could have the life you've always wanted. Awesome. I like this guy. This is cool. I love those messages, guys. I love giving you those messages. Those are really fun messages to give. This seems a little bit dark. It's tough. So why are we talking about this in church? Should we be talking about this in church? Yes, here's why. Because these stats are not just for non-Christians. Our churches right now are filled with people putting on a smile, but really suffering inside. Putting on some sort of a smile and then saying, no, everything's great, really. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. Everything's wonderful. And they, are, they have so much anxiety and junk inside of them, they don't know where to go or what to do. Because they're at church, and at church, you're supposed to have it figured out. And so it's tough. So should we be talking about this in church? <sighs> right now, some of you... Uh, are going through anxiety and depression. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. People in this room have it. And, uh, and we should be talking about this in church, and we should know how our brain works, and we should have some good tools on how to, how, what God wants us to do with it. Now, I was asked this, uh, you know, um, thinking about this and asked this, you know, you know uh, when I talked to somebody, one of my friends I was talking about, he said, yeah, those are tough messages to give. And I was like, I get it. So I was like, God, I don't know what you want me to do, and I don't know what you want me to say, and I don't know how you want me to deliver this, but I'll do it however you want me to do it. And, and is this really the right venue to be talking about this? And God put somebody on my heart. Again, I know that some of you might look at uh, people and think, well, they've got it figured out, and I don't, and they don't really know what's bothering me. But I want to show you a picture right now. And um, his name is Pastor uh, Jared Wilson. Now, if you look at that family, you go, that's a good-looking family. That is a beautiful family. Jared uh, was the pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship, and it's a megachurch in Southern California. Jared is well-respected, well a beautiful family, pastor of a huge, giant megachurch. People go to him for advice and counsel. 
This guy was on the top of his game. September, Jared took his own life. Depression. Should we be talking about this in church? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, I think, I think we've got something going on here that we need to address, that we should be talking about. Let's stop pretending because we're at church, we have some sort of a bulletproof vest from pain and hardship. Let's stop pretending that, that, that we are immune somehow to a lot of the things that people are all, everywhere else are going through. And let's get honest, guys. Listen, I know that you are looking at this picture and you're going, look, that's terrible. And I feel awful for this family. And that's, if there's something I could do, please let me know. I'm sure some of you are going to maybe write down Jared's name and pray for his family. I know your hearts. I know that. But at the end of the day, you never met Jared. You never did. So let me bring it a little closer to home for you. I'm going to show you another really good-looking, beautiful family. And the kids are beautiful, but that guy, boy, and he is wearing the greatest team, you can't see it, in the history of the NFL, the Los Angeles Rams sweatshirt there. Now, when you look at us, you think this is a perfect family. We live in Ladera Ranch. This is candy land. That's fantasy land. We have, we, I mean, people, Jose doesn't even like visiting because he says it looks like a movie studio. He's, he's afraid it's going to lean against a tree and it's going to fall down. Um, we, 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 I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. And we look, that's a perfect family right there, the kids and everything else and the beautiful wife. And we have this awesome church in Dana Point, which most people come just to vacation here. And it's beautiful. And so everything looks great. The one thing is, is that that dad, your, your pastor, has suffered from anxiety for many years. And it all started, not when I was a kid, but when I was driving on the carpool lane, I'll never forget it. And I felt like everything was crowding in me and I couldn't breathe. And I didn't know what it was. And so all of a sudden, I, I felt like I was literally on top of the car. Everything was getting super it was, everything was coming in like this. I mean, it was coming inside, and, and I couldn't get out. And I was feeling like I was in a coffin that they were pouring dirt on. I couldn't get out of it. It was terrifying. I couldn't breathe. So I got off the freeway, and I was just, it was a tough thing. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to shake it off. Maybe it was just like, you know, uh, one of those weird things. And So then we're at Disneyland, and it's something that we love to do. And I'm on Main Street, and they start the fireworks, and everybody crowds in, and I couldn't breathe. And I literally was pushing people just to get out of the way. And I took my necklace off and I thought somebody was choking me. And I didn't understand why. So I went to the doctor and they said, you've got anxiety. You had a panic attack. Anxiety. And for years I didn't want to tell anybody this because pastors shouldn't have these things. Pastors should have the answers. Pastors should be able to tell you what to do. Not us. We're good. Because if, if something's wrong with us, you're going to get a better guy up the street that's got more stuff and that's got life more figured out. So if you've got stuff going on in your life, I'm going to go up there because that guy, he's got it all figured out. So I couldn't say anything. I had to pretend like I didn't have this thing. Like Paul said, in my weakness, though, God is strong. Friends, if we are going to lie to each other, we're not really a church family. 
for a gathering that gets together for some terrific music and some unbelievable preaching. <laughs> but it's important that we're honest with each other. Right now, some of you are very, very nervous for your children or a parent or you yourself. And you don't have any no idea. You're trying every medication known to man. You just want them to, to be happy and healthy. It's going to require getting right with Jesus Christ. It's going to require, I don't want to oversound over spiritual. I'm telling you the honest truth. You're going to have to get right with God. It's just a fact. Yes, there's other components that are part of it. There's biology to it. There's chemistry to it. At the end of the day, it's changing your habits, getting closer to closer to who God is, how he wired you. You don't have to pretend here, okay? Standing up here and telling you the things that I tell you week after week are not easy. And when I'm writing the notes to my messages, I literally tell God, can we, damn? Does it have to be about me all the time and how messed up I am? But here's the deal. As the pastor of this church, I can't expect you to be real and authentic if I'm not. I would never ask you to do something that I wouldn't do. Ever. And so I want to make sure that you know that you have permission to say, yeah, right now it's not clicking for me. I don't know why. Something's not right. Something doesn't feel right. Something's not, it's just not, I'm not, I'm not catching that. I feel like I just, I feel like I need a reset. I just need a, a reset button. Today I'm going to do something that's going to be a little bit different. I normally don't do this. But today I'm going to say a specific prayer. And if you need to reset with God today, if you go, I just need a reset. I need a reprogram. I need a fresh, a fresh start because I've been going through a lot. I want you to raise your hand. I've given you permission to say it's okay that you're not okay right now. And I don't want, um, I don't want the, the sound or the slides or the ushers or anybody to have your eyes open. I want every musician, I want everybody to close their eyes because I want you to feel safe that nobody's going to uh, judge you or think something's weird. But when I pray this prayer, if you need something right now, if you need a reset with God right now, it's okay. It's okay. Just pop your head up so I know that I can be praying for you and that I'm here for you and I can walk with you. That's my job. If you're ever wondering, what do you do? I'm here to serve you. Just like Piper says all the time. No troll left behind. <laughs> okay. So you're going to bow your heads right now, and I'm going to say a prayer. And if you need a reset today, I want you, and I want everybody's head bowed. I don't want anybody except for me with my eyes open. And if you need a reset, just say this prayer with me and, 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 if, and, and uh, raise your hand so I know I can be praying for you. Thank you, 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 thank you. And this prayer is this, Jesus, say it with me. <sighs> Jesus, I need you to just be more real with me now than you ever have before. Jesus, I, I want to serve you, I want to love you, I want to have a relationship with you. But at times, I feel like I'm drowning. At times, I feel like I just can't even put one foot in front of the other, and I'm exhausted. And I need your strength. Jesus, the best way that I can is just 
literally just come on, go on my knees right now, God. I need you right now to take my life over. I want to be healthy. I want to be right with you. Even if I've got these thorns in my side like Paul, I could accept that, but I need your strength to get through it. I love that in my weakness you're strong. I love that, but I need that strength because in my weakness I still feel weak. So in my weakness I want to feel strong and I need you, Jesus, to give me that strength today and tomorrow and forever. Father God, I know that there's hands just, that just came up. I thank them so much. Because this is a safe place that they said, I'm in it with you. That none of us have it all figured out. That none of us have it perfect. That we've all got our stuff. Father, the, 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 the liar who is Satan is going to continuously tell us that we need more drugs and more drugs and more drugs and, and we're never going to get better and it's always going to be this way and, you're, and for whatever reason, God has forgotten about you or God, God is too busy with other things he doesn't have time for you and, or God is mad at you for all the things you've done. Father God, we're not there those lies. No way. No way. They are lies. They are coming from the liar but they're coming from the one that knows where he's going and, they know, and he is scared of us because he knows that if we put our faith in you, he knows where we're going. And he, does, he wants to distract us from that every single day. Father, we know that spiritual warfare is real. We know that the liar is going to put everything in our head to avoid talking about this, to avoid being honest with each other, to avoid coming to church, to fill our calendars with other things so that we could avoid dealing with what's really the problem. Father, we're not going to shy away from this, God. We're going to face it head on. And we are going to give you, Jesus, all of the glory as you get us through these hard times in life. And we're going to support each other as one church family through it. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your church. And it's in your precious name. Amen. As a high school teacher, I can tell you what Pastor James said is it's multiplying among teenagers right now. And I have multiple kids who are suffering from anxiety, depression. They're self-medicating. They're hurting themselves. They're crying out for help. And there's just not enough of school psychologists and counselors to go around to help some of these kids. Maybe you didn't raise your hand today, but maybe you're surrounded with people. Maybe it's your kid that's struggling with this. Maybe it's a spouse, a parent who's uh, maybe uh, elderly and dealing with anxiety and depression because they're looking back at their life. Whatever it happens to be, whether you're struggling with this or you're caring for someone who's struggling with this, we need to pray for each other. We need to lift each other up. We need to say, I need help, which, which whatever, whatever role you're taking. It's okay to say, I need help. I need someone to help me with this. Yes, we we're going we're gonna to pray first, and we're always going to give it to the Lord, but you have to talk to each other as well. Uh, so please, please, let, let Pastor James know, let one of us on the leadership team know, uh, we want to keep praying for you. Let's pray for our offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to a church where we can be real and talk about what's going on in our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Lord God, that there's no subject that's too taboo for us to talk about. Father, you made us, you made our minds, our bodies. Father, you know how, how we work better than we do ourselves. We thank you, Father, that you have the answers, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have the answers to all these issues. We thank you, Lord God, that you are with us no matter how we feel, no matter what we're going through. We always know that you're with us. 
We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting next to us, standing with us, affirming us. We pray that we will continue to to do that. We pray, Lord, for this offering that you have blessed it and multiply it. We thank you for all of your blessings that you've given us this week, and we thank you for the blessings to come. We praise things in your name. Amen.